Open your Bibles to Psalm 23. This psalm, you didn't cover it in homework, like I told you, surprise, <laughs> we're going to do this one today. Um, but you went through a lot of, um, of dark valleys with David this week, didn't you? David is the author of the psalms that you read in homework. And if you're joining us for the first time this week, you'll know that, that he's the author of most of the psalms. And so for the f- first few weeks, we're going to cover a lot of David's voice. And this week, we got to see David wrestling He wrestled with anguish and helplessness and uncertainty and waiting and tears, didn't he? We related. I saw your comments. You related. I related. Well, I felt like it was fitting that we go through Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, as many of us have heard of it. And I don't know... um, I don't know where you are in your faith journey. I don't know where you are in your life journey, but I can guess that you've probably heard this in some shape or form. And it probably brings back memories to you. The words echo and they remind you of a time. um, And it may have been a heart, it may have been a funeral. They they read these words a lot at, at funerals, at remembrance services, don't they? It may have been when you were a kid that you memorized it. Um, I don't know what it means to you, but I just, I'm going to read the words out loud to you, and I hope that you will just be in that for a minute and just see where God takes you for a minute in your memories and in your feelings, and then we're going to cover it and we're going to break it down together. So follow along with me, if you would, Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I can see your faces, and I know that those words bring something up for you. For me, I've got a couple of different um, memories about this particular psalm, but you know what is the most, um, the most permanent one etched in my mind forever, in my heart forever? It was um, in the last days of my grandmother's life, and my sister and I were in the hospital with her. And it was, you know, when you're near the end, when someone's been suffering with illness and there's a certain, there's a certain feel that comes over the room and you know, you know, you're in the last few minutes. And um, I just remember I was in the room with my sister, my much, my much older, wiser sister. She's in the room. And uh, I don't remember, Tracy, that we had a Bible with us, but I remember that you knew the words to this. And so you got up and you walked over to her bed and you started saying the words out loud and she was unconscious and it was near the end and she knew the Lord and she lived a full, wonderful life. But I remember seeing her lips move and I remember feeling the peace. And it was in that moment where I realized the power of these words in not just David's life, in my life, in my sister's life, in my grandmother's life, If only I could have pushed pause and say, hey, can we go back? Tell me everything you know about these words. But I didn't get that chance. But I did get to have that moment with my sister and my grandma. I don't know what your moment is. 
but I'm sure that you have one. Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm. You know, um, we talked about David over the last few weeks, and we talked about how he was a shepherd boy who became king. But you know what's cool about this psalm more than any other? It's a shepherd who became a king talking about a king who became a shepherd. Do you notice that? Shepherd became a king, written about a king who became a shepherd. We don't know exactly when this psalm was written. Based on the wording and based on some of the things that we see shadowed in here, we assume it was probably closer to the end of his life and he was looking back. And you know, when we talked earlier about this mentor ministry, this idea of of living this life and walking this journey and realizing we all have something to look back and share. He gives us wisdom in our experience and that's what David's doing. He's looking back and he's gonna tell us about who his God is. And in turn, hopefully, that we can adopt that understanding of who our God is too. It's the most popular, quoted, read, sung psalm of all of them. Best known passage in the Old Testament. You probably knew that. The interesting thing that I thought about this week that I hadn't thought about before when I read it was the positioning of this psalm. You know, remember, this is not, the psalms are not in chronological order, but rather they were arranged. But did you notice what came before Psalm 23? Psalm 22 And you studied that this week in your homework. Do you remember what that one was called? It's the Song of the Cross. We see the words in Psalm 22 start out with, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There was no um, green pastures or still waters on the other side of Psalm 23, was there? It was painful and it was anguish. Well, Then we move into Psalm 23, and the very first words we get are, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Don't miss the intentionality of that. Well, Psalm 23, like I mentioned before, it's David talking about who his God is. And remember, David is the man after God's own heart. And so he has pretty good knowledge of who God is. And so I want to remind you today that that David's God is your God. And so when you read these words, I hope you will read this as, as, as a personal letter to you about who God is because that's what his word is here for us to understand who he is and then in turn know how to live our lives and maybe understand a little bit about who we are, amen? So Psalm 23, we're gonna break it out like this. Verses one through three, we're gonna talk about God as provider. In verse four, we're gonna talk about God as protector. And then lastly, in verses five through six, we're gonna talk about God as a gracious host as a gracious host. So if you would, if you haven't already, open up your Bible um, to Psalm 23. I'm gonna pray first, and then we're gonna get right into it. Father, um, it is well. It is well with our souls because we know you as our shepherd. And God, um, this day, this is the heavy day. Um, We think a lot about those dark valleys on days like today. And so God, will you remind us today that even though we walk through those dark valleys, even though that you are still God, you are still on the throne and nothing changes. And so thank you for that. Thank you for the reassurance and the hope that is unchangeable and unmovable. And today we cling to that. So God, show us who you are today in Jesus name. Amen. Psalm 23, it starts out with verse one. And I find it interesting because um, we see initially right from the very first verse, we see this about ourselves. Okay. I hope you, I hope you read it this way. We see that we are want-centered. 
We are want-centered. The first verse says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The reason why this is there is to remind us that, you know, when you rely on the Lord as your provider, you don't have to want because he's going to supply the need. You see, we're want-centered, God is need-centered, and we've pushed back on that a lot, don't we? I know I do. We're want-centered, God is need-centered. Verses 2 and 3, he goes on. And he says this about his God. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he talks about the need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Hey guys, I don't know about you, but those first three verses alone, I just need to hang out and camp out there. Amen, anybody? Anybody need some tall, like, beautiful green alfalfa grass to just hang out in and just chill, cold water, hanging out right by the stream, just available at any time for your hydration purposes, right? Sounds so good. He knows what we need. He knows we need provisions. He he just right here specifically talks about the green pasture. He's providing food. He talks about the still waters. He's providing hydration. He's talking about how we get to lie down. He knows we need rest. Anybody need rest? Mm -hmm. If you didn't raise your hand, it's because you're too tired to raise your hand. (laughs) We need it, don't we? Same, 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 same. Well, David knew that we need this restoration, and he calls out to God in the midst of that. The thing I want you to notice, though, is as, as he's laying out this idea that God is provider, he tells us two things. He said God is a restorer, like we just learned. He restores our needs so that then we don't have to want. But then he does another thing. Do you see what he does there? He guides us. He leads them in right paths. And, and the funny thing was a few years ago, like a minute ago when my kids were babies, they're, not, they're real old now, so it was not a minute ago, um, somebody told me this, and I thought this was such great advice because I was in the midst of, of elementary school kid land, okay, and where they were just like going through the really hard things in life, you know, the really tough things in life, like nobody will play with me on the playground. So, I know, uh, those of us that have been a little farther down the road, we're laughing now like, oh, if I could have that problem again. No offense, young moms, it's tough. I get it. I know. But seriously, like in that moment for my kid, that's everything in the whole world, right? That's his whole everything. And I remember somebody said to me, I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go up there at recess. I'm going to fix the problem. I'm going to be there. I'm going to talk to the teacher. We're going to make sure that we're going to assign some friends to him and it's going to be fine. And uh, the great advice I got was, Chris, stop trying to prepare the path for him. Stop trying to fix the thing. Prepare him for the path. Because this is not going to be the last time, literally or figuratively, that he is alone and that he is lonely and sad and feels left out. Amen? I love the idea that God is that kind of a guide. He's that kind of a provider. He's going to lead them in the right paths. It doesn't say, it says he's going to lead me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It doesn't say he's going to go ahead of me and take the rocks out of the path and he's going to put a nice little fence along the ledge so I don't fall off the cliff. No, I didn't say that, does he? He's going to lead us. He prepares us for the path. He doesn't prepare the path for us. Amen? God the provider. Well, when you think about guiding, um, I I found this really interesting video, and I'm going to put it on our Facebook page. So if you're not on the Facebook page, um, I'll have it sent out. I'll have your leaders send it out. But I was looking up the whole idea of the green pasture thing, because I don't know about y'all. I haven't been to Israel. I'm hoping to get to go at some point. But I I don't immediately think of greenness. Anybody? Like, it just doesn't come to my mind. So I was like, what is this? Is this really a place? 
the screen pasture thing. And so I started doing a little research, and I found this, this one guy, and I, I neglected to write his name down, but I will give you the link. Um, he does this whole thing about the green pastures, and this is what's fascinating. You know, in our minds, like I mentioned before, we're thinking big, tall grass, and it's cool, and you can chill out in it, and there's the stream, and it's lovely, and the skies are blue, and everything's wonderful, and I'm going to take a little nap. And this is what God wants for us, right? This is where he wants us to camp out because that's what life should be when you're a believer. Some of you are laughing your faces off right now. The green pastures, the literal green pastures, not the figurative ones, don't look like that at all, guys. In fact, they look like um, rocks and dirt, and, and you can't see any green. And when you stand in the midst of what David was speaking about, it, it's, it's overwhelming. You know, uh, Mark Twain actually traveled to that part of the world, and he had this quote. He said, here there must be sh- gravel-eating sheep. Because there's no grass. This is what's amazing about this idea of the, uh, the, green, the green grass, the green pastures, is that they're actually um, just these rock outcroppings, okay? But this is what happens. There's different parts of, of, of this area that do actually have green grass, and they are actually fortified with a lot of uh, hydration and a lot of things that make things grow. But you know what? Who has those? The farmers have those. And you know what farmers don't like? They don't like sheep grazing on their stuff, okay? And so the shepherds, even still to this day, take their sheep and, and they graze them across these, these wide expanses that just look like rocks. But what we don't know is what the shepherds do know. And that in the midst of these little outcroppings of rocks, like think about a little pile of rocks. If you zoom in and get really close, there's a little sprig of grass, like just a sprig. And then you go and there's a little bit more. And it's the way that when the moisture does come in, it collects on the sides of these rocks. I mean, God has this whole thing. It's like a purpose. It's like a plan. It's as if there were a plan. And so each, it's each of these, these little rocks have grass, but you can't see them. But, but the sheep don't know unless they're led along the paths to find them. And so what happens is, even still today, the shepherds will lead their sheep. They don't graze them in this giant pasture. That's not a thing. They're leading them along these paths, and as they're moving along these rocky paths, they look over to the left or to the right, and there's a little grass, and they take it in, and then they keep moving. How, how, that's not what I thought God wanted for me. I thought he wanted me to chill out in the cold grass and hang out by the, no. It's, it's, it's hard, and the shepherd is going to lead me, and I need to be led by the shepherd, because he knows where the little grass sprigs are. I do not know. I love that, that idea that the sheep can't really rely on themselves, guys. They have to be led. He has to guide them. You know, God is the provider for his sheep. And if we're part of his flock, then he will provide exactly what we need and he'll prepare our path. You know, the interesting thing about the, um, the shepherds and the way that they move their sheep along these, these rocky landscapes is that they don't hang out in one spot very long. They're always moving, constantly moving. Because as you can imagine, there's not a lot of grass to hang out and eat. And so it's almost like, it's almost like God gives us just what we need, just when we need it, and says, trust me for the rest. Amen? So when you look at green pastures, I hope you think about it a little differently, because I sure will. It's not just to go hang out and make life easy. It's trust the shepherd to lead. Well, David goes on and tells us about God as a protector, 
God is a protector. In verse four, we know this verse. We hear it often. Like I said, a lot of times at services where we're remembering someone who's passed on, but I want to give you something to think about that's a little different. Follow along with me in verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, I don't know if you're a Bible underliner girl, but I'm going to encourage you to be one right now. And go at the very beginning of verse 4 and underline those first two words, even though. Even though. You know, this valley that he's talking about here, the shadow of the valley of the shadow of death and everything, it's not actually defined as literal death. Do you know that? Like when we, when we dig down into the Hebrew and understand kind of the wording, it's, it's actually um, a metaphor for something that's perilously threatening, an environment that is deep darkness, that's really scary. I think a lot of us can hear that and think, I'm there. I'm in the deep, dark valley right now. Or... I was just there, or I feel like I'm going there, right? This is life. Life happens in the valley. Life does not happen on the mountaintop. I tell this story all the time um, about my brother, Steve. I have a couple of brothers, and I always talk about my, I'm hitting two of y'all on this one night, my sister and my brother. My older brother is like a mountain man. He lives in Colorado, and um, I've shared this story before, but he's a mountaineer and he knows a lot about climbing. And so one day um, he decided he was going to take me on this great adventure and we're going to go up this mountain. We're going to climb this mountain. That sounded really great for me because I'm thinking photo op, right? Isn't that what you would be thinking? This is going to be a great picture. Um, so we, we spend all day, like all day and night, like hours and hours and hours, and we're going up, up, up. And my brother, my smart mountaineering brother, you know, he's leading us up. And I'm like, I can see the top. I, I couldn't really breathe at all. So that wasn't, wasn't that breathy. It was really more soft whispering. But I could finally see the top, right? And I get to the top. And by the time I got to the top, you see my brother, this is the side note, um, he knew what I didn't know, which was it's going to be real cold and, and it's going to be wet. And so you're going to have to have a hat and a coat, which is I just wore cute stuff because, I mean, photo op. So we get to the top and I'm in his hat and his coat and just not the cutest outfit. I'm not going to lie. But we get up there and I'm like, I did it. We did it. We're up here. Take my picture. Take my picture. And he goes, click. All right, we got to go. And I'm like, oh, no, no, we don't. That was not my best angle. Like, we need more pictures. And he's like, no, we don't. You see that over there? And I'm like, that, like 100,000 miles away? He goes, it's coming here and we need to get down. And sure enough, I listened to my crazy mountain brother and we are like halfway down and we are in a hailstorm and a lightning storm. And, and I'm thinking to myself like, hmm, it's good that I listened to him and not me, <laughs> right? Well, he knew. He knew what I needed to protect me. You see, because I can't, I mean, as much as I wished I could have just hung out there all day and, and just lived on that mountaintop, that mountaintop is not there to sustain life for me. It's not what it's for. It's for like this, this moment of impact or this inspirational thing that God gives me as a gift. Like, remember when you were on the mountain? Remember what you could see? Okay, now it's time to go down because life happens in the valley. Then then The deep, dark valley. Well, I followed him down. Um, and, and speaking of following, I, I hope you know this too. Like when you read through verse four, it says, even though I walk through these deep, dark valleys of life, these dips that we don't know how to get out of, the rest of that verse starts with four, underline that, you are with me. You see, the reason he said, he doesn't say here, you know, God's going to magically make all the valleys go away, does he? He says, but I'm not going to be afraid because I have God with me, even though four, 
It's, 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 it's a direct result of having God with you that you're not afraid of having to go down into that deep, dark valley because they come, don't they? Amen? They come. Well, um, a beautiful story that I've shared before and I couldn't resist sharing it again is about sheep and, and talking about following and trusting their, um, their shepherd as the protector. Uh, a couple years ago, I found this article in 2009 and I'm not kidding you, every time I share it, I go back and Google it again just to make sure it wasn't fake news, but I legit believe it was true. And here's, here's, where it, here's what it said. It was from a newspaper article and it says, Istanbul, that's where it was happening. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey today, plunging to their deaths, while the shepherds looked on in dismay. I'm like, well, that's an interesting, surely it was more than dismay. I don't know. Okay. 400 of them fell 15 meters, plunging to their deaths, it says, in a ravine in the Van province near Iran. But here's the good news, guys. They broke the fall of another 1,100 of the animals who survived, newspaper reports said yesterday. The shepherds from this village neglected the flock while they were eating breakfast and leaving their sheep to roam free. The loss to the farmers was estimated at $74,000. Four, let's, can we just pause? 400 sheep walked off a cliff, guys. Really, come on. Because one of the sheep friends said, hey, I've got this great idea. Come on, let's do it. And then I don't understand, like, okay, 400? Like, don't you think, like, number 85 would have been like, this doesn't feel right. (laughs) And then 400 died, and then 1,100 more were cushioned, I guess. I don't understand. I don't understand this. But I'll tell you, the bottom line is, and this is all certainly biblical, I'm sure, but the bottom line is this, that sheep are dumb, okay, They are directionless and they are defenseless when they're left to themselves. Dumb, directionless, defenseless on their own. They need the shepherd to lead them. They need the shepherd to lead them. Well, then you move on to the bottom of verse four and then you see this this whole thing about a rod and a staff, you know, and how they're a comfort. And I say that all the time. Like I have a t-shirt that says the rod and the staff are comforting to me. What? I don't even know what those things are. Do you know what those things are? I mean, come on, for real. You're lying if you say you do. I didn't know. They're tools that the shepherds have. I'm not a shepherd. I wasn't aware that these tools mattered, really. And so I did a little digging, and I found this book called um, Philip Keller was the author, and he's, it's called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And I loved it because he's a real shepherd. And he took Psalm 23, and he said, let me, let me tell you what these words and why these words matter and why they're comforting. And so he took the two things that, that David says are a comfort, the rod and the staff, and this is what he says about the rod. The rod is a shorter, heavier, like a club. Okay, picture like a club. And its purpose is to discipline and defend. Okay, and here's how. Like it gave a couple of examples because I'm like, still don't understand. Here's what it is. It's like a club or a throwing stick that can defend against predators. Okay, that made more sense. So like as the shepherd, remember, we're talking about the shepherd that's moving his sheep constantly. They're being led, they're being led, they're being led. Hopefully not off cliffs, amen, but they're being led. And so when there's something coming to try to take their lives or harm them, He can throw this thing. It's also for disciplining wayward sheep. You just tuck that away, would you? Tuck that away for a minute. Disciplining wayward sheep. And the staff, you know, that's that tall thing that has like a crook like at the top of it, you know, that we always see like when we think about a shepherd, we don't think about the little rod deal. The staff has a different purpose. Like its purpose is to rescue and lead, to rescue and lead. And so consider, think about this for a minute. So like if if a shepherd is trying to round up the sheep 
into a flock to move them because maybe they are greedy for green grass and maybe they see it over a cliff and want to walk over it to get it. And so instead, the shop, shepherd takes this crook and he can, he can um, move them along and kind of herd them back into the path that he has planned for them. It also is for extricating sheep from bad situations. You think about when they get tangled up in like, in a, you know, like thorn bushes and, and things like that. Like he can come over and use this to get them out of this situation. So I get it now. I get why that's comforting because we have a God who wants to rescue us and wants to protect us and knows what's best for us and knows that left to our own devices, God bless us, we're dumb, we're directionless, and we're defenseless, and we walk off cliffs all the time, don't we? I mean, all the time. Start looking at your life and look at those places where you realize, hey, you know what, this might be one of those dumb sheep moments where I'm walking off a cliff. I don't see my shepherd leading me off this cliff, and I'm walking off. Well, even though four, we're dumb, directionless, defenseless, but God is the protector of his sheep. And so we're made for life in the valley. We got to trust our protector, don't we? Well, the last part of the Psalm is he gives us two verses that talk about being a host. And um, this this little section was always just a little um, mysterious to me because it didn't seem like it fit. Well, I want to share with you just a different take on it and see if it helps a little bit for you. Um, we're kind of switching gears because David's kind of talking about his life on the run and he's kind of referring to enemies chasing him and that sort of thing. But when you look at this, I want you to think about this. I found this in a commentary. The ESV commentary says this, that the relationship of a host with his guest is even closer than that of a shepherd with his sheep. According to the Bedouin law of hospitality, once a traveler is received into a shepherd's tent and especially once his host has spread food before him, He's guaranteed immunity from his enemies who may be attempting to overtake him. And so when we see the table set, I want you to think about the fact that the shepherd has a tent and the shepherd has a table where he presents his meal and he is welcoming him to the table. In other words, he's saying, I've got you. I see your enemies. Like I can literally see them. They're like watching us, but I've got you. You prepare a table before me, verse five, in the presence of my enemies, You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's huge. Don't skip this part. Prepared in the the presence of his enemies, it's it's almost like like God as host is saying, hey, you can trust me even when you see them, even when they're approaching, even when they're attacking, right? He says he anoints his head with oil. Well, remember, whenever he talks about anointing with oil, what that means is it's always an indication of a a biblical imagery of blessing. And so kings are anointed. And so when he says, you're coming to my table and I'm anointing you, that's a blessing. Fills the cup to overflowing. We all know what that means, don't we? We repeat that one all the time. He gives me more than I could have ever asked for. And then lastly, he says this that we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, interestingly, David, um, in Psalm 27, 4, he writes these exact words. He asks God one thing. He asks God for one thing. David, a man after God's own heart. And his question is this. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what he wants. God as host. Um, may, I, may, I, may I 
give you something to think about. You know, some really good advice I got. Like, I've gotten a lot of good advice. Back to the flourish thing. I've had so many great women who've come before me and experienced life ahead of me who've spoken truth into me that I've carried with me. And, and one of the things that I thought about as we were thinking about being a host is one of my great mentors, and she was a parenting mentor to me, and she said to me this, um, when you think about your children and your husband and, and the people that live in your home or the people that you work alongside, whenever you're with them, treat them as though they were guests. Treat them as though they were guests. I'll tell you this. This is what you can know about me. Um, my house is a mess right in this moment. There are dog fur balls that are like tumbleweeds tumbling around my But if you told me you were coming over for lunch, I would bolt out of here. I would break the law and I'm a rule follower. I would get home and I would vacuum real fast and fluff the pillows and I would even do the lint roll thing on the couch so that you could sit down and not have dog fur on you. You're welcome. I love you. So when my kid comes home from school, I do the exact same thing, right? No, I, I, I'm really good at being a host to you guys, but the people that God has put in my life that I love the very most, that mean the very most to me, I'm not good at being a host. And so I look at this as thinking, okay, this is God going, um, I have great opportunity for you, Chris, all the time to do what I do for you. You can be this, you can be a host who prepares a table in the face of the enemies. You can be the one that fills the cup to overflowing. You can be the one to bless people, even the people that you live with. Sometimes he gives me hard truths, sometimes in the midst of things that I just don't want to hear. But I want you to be encouraged in this way and know that no matter what, there's always a table set for you. And that God is the great, gracious host. Every one of us looking to dwell in the house of the Lord forever has a seat at the table. That's David's God. That's your God. He's not different now. He's the same. This is your word. Psalm 23. Don't look at it like this painful, sad um, eulogy, if you will. Look at it as the joy of life lived in the valley on the mountaintop at the table. Well, we're dumb, directionless, and defenseless. You're welcome. Enjoy that. It's true. Um, I want to read from my favorite Bible version, my favorite translation. This is right along my brain level. But um, if you don't have this, you guys think I'm joking, get it. Some good theology right here. But I want to read Psalm 23 as we close. I want to read it in um, the Jesus Storybook Bible version, and I want you to just hear the words. They're true and they're real and they're simple and that's what the gospel is, okay? So listen to the words. God is my shepherd. I am his little lamb. He feeds me and he guides me and he looks after me. And I have everything I need. And inside my heart is very quiet, as quiet as laying still in soft green grass in a meadow by a little stream. And even when I walk through the dark scary, lonely places, they will not be afraid because my shepherd knows exactly where I am and he is here with me and he keeps me safe and he rescues me and he makes me strong and he makes me brave and he is getting wonderful things ready for me, especially for me, everything I ever, ever dreamed of and he fills my heart so full of happiness. I can't even hold it inside. Wherever I go, I know God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love will go to. God gave David this song to sing. But the neat thing in this Bible, it says, another shepherd was coming, a greater shepherd. 
He would be called the good shepherd. And this shepherd was going to lead all of God's lambs back to the place where they had always belonged. And that's close to God's heart. John 10, 1 through 15 tells us about the good shepherd and that's Jesus. And he's very clear about what his role is. He has come to name his sheep. He has come to know his sheep. He has come to lead his sheep. He gives his life for his sheep. He sacrifices for his sheep and he protects his sheep. No matter what valley you're in, no matter what it is, no matter if you're the one that got yourself there or matter if it is just a series of circumstances that you feel completely out of control, your good shepherd knows your name and he knows where you are and he laid down his life for you. I hope you know this good shepherd. And if you don't, I'm gonna pray right now that you do. I'm gonna pray right now that it gets real and you stop walking off cliffs, amen? We're gonna pray. Close your eyes, bow your head with me and let's just pray. Father, um, we, we come to you and we confess that we walk off cliffs all the time. I and mean, we laugh about these dumb sheep, but Lord, we, um, God bless us, bless our little hearts. We are the dumb sheep. Forgive us for those moments where we are, we are letting ourselves be led astray by anyone but you. And not only do you say that you're the shepherd, but then you send your son who is the good shepherd, the one who came to live, who came to save, who came to die just for us, every one of us. And so God, every seat in this place, every person watching online or listening, Lord, um, remind them today that you know exactly where they are and you care about them deeply and want more than anything in this world for them to know you. And so, Father, thank you that you love us enough to be a personal God who came down to earth for us to be our shepherd. We want to follow. Show us how to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.